Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. What's going on guys? This is Mike West. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Into the Van. We have Jamie Wyatt today. I'm super stoked to finally release this conversation. Jamie, when I first started this podcast, was one of the guests I knew. It was one of the top of my list of the people I wanted to talk to because I just love her songs, I love her style, I love her ethos, and I knew she'd be an interesting talk, and she did not disappoint. Before we get into that, though, live music is coming back, and I am on the road every now and then. It's not tours. It's not real tours. You know, tours are back-to-back dates, traveling around. These are shows spread out for the rest of 2021, and I really hope you can make them. August 20th, I'm at Wonky Donk Festival with Moonshine Wagon and Sarah Vista and some other amazing folks. August 29th, I'm with Crap Sons hosting their own festival, Crap Fest, in Liverpool. They've been guests on this podcast. They're a great punk band, one of my favorite punk bands, so check them out. I'm super hyped for that festival. September 8th, I'm supporting Cam Cole at Jimmy's in Liverpool. September 24th, I'm at Aces and Eights in London, which is one of my favorite venues for a sold-out show supporting 10 Sheds. September 26th, I'm opening the show for Sirius Sam Barrett and Lewis Bernard. That's at the Swinging Arm in Birkenhead, my hometown, and that's a show I'm putting on myself because I really want to bring country folk and roots acts to my hometown and try and get a scene going here then on october 16th we're at the desperado festival at crumlin november 5th i'm at the waterloo which is an incredible venue in the uk in blackpool that's with the fargo railroad company then november 7th i'm supporting the incredible nick shoulders at the york and bolton i can't wait for that that's gonna be a phenomenal gig and then the last gig i've got booked in so far is november 15th at the musician in leicester supporting the legendary otis gibbs i'm so hyped for those gigs if you are available and you are around at those times please let me know please get tickets it's gonna be epic I've also, you know, it's been Bandcamp Friday. It's been the anniversary of The Next Life this weekend. On the 7th of August last year, I released The Next Life and I can't thank everyone who picked up a copy so far. Without you guys, it wouldn't have been the record it was. We wouldn't have got it as far as we had. And, you know, for my own ego, my own validation to have people like the record, the record that I put, you know, five years of writing and gigging and my heart into to be well received by people has just been absolutely incredible and humbling so thank you so much for picking up a copy if you haven't you can head over to mike333west.com head over to my store and use the code nextlife for 15% off that's nextlife for 15% i'm gonna give you a little teaser now just to you know see if you're interested see if you dig it check it out i've been watching this rain comes off my windshield I've been staring at missed calls on my phone I've been sitting in my car for an hour now Cause I can't bear to go back home What if I just drove away right now Let the rain wash away my tracks My phone and all that I own Told a lie that I'll be back That's not my responsibility That's for you, not me That's not my responsibility That's for you 
head over to my band camp at mike333west.com, use the code NEXTLIFE and get 15% off. I'm not going to talk too much after this. We've got the incredible Jamie Wyatt on the show and I was, you know, so looking forward to talking to her and she did not disappoint. She's a great person to talk to. She's super chill. We had this great conversation about songwriting and mental health and even skateboarding and gardening and, you know, it really went all over the place and that's one of my favorite conversations to have. It's one of those things where you have kind of questions and ideas lined up, but them being so generous with their time and wisdom you just get to go on this journey with them and i really hope you enjoy this journey so without further ado this is episode 37 of into the van with mike west and jamie wyatt welcome to into the van with me mike west yeah so um yeah so we're rolling now and again thank you so much for doing this Doing some of the research for the podcast and stuff, one of the things I read about was you got into skateboarding when you were kind of away from California and stuff. When did you kind of get into skateboarding? Is that still something you're into or something you do? Um, yeah, I grew up like into skateboarding, which is so funny because I was um I grew up in Washington State and we didn't even have like any concrete around there were like little slabs like my Mm. friend's house had a little slab you know like right around the house where they parked the cars and like that was it um so I'd always like dreamed of California as a kid and I'd look at these skateboarding magazines um I don't know how I got into skateboarding really I guess because it was just there was a lot of snowboarding growing up in Washington um and then and skateboarding that was just there wasn't a lot of activities um you know, a lot of, mm. not a lot of stuff happening. It was a very, very small town. And uh, yeah, so I got into skateboarding anyways. Um, watch skateboard videos and see everyone was in California because there's so much concrete. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, st- I just had a gravel driveway, you know. And, um, but it was good. I, do I still skateboard? I mean, I had a skateboard and then uh, it was like, randomly stolen so i um so a friend of mine just sent me a deck that i just got in the mail mail and um i was actually gonna go now i gotta get some trucks and wheels to throw on there uh but it's really cool this guy um this guy eric ellington who's a pro and awesome skater sent me one deck to a little like go up on the wall and Mm. one deck that i can ride um yeah he sent me this rad art um He sent me this rad, like cowboy painting on mm. it, it, this deck that's like uh, it has a cowboy on it. It's super cool. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. I recently fell back down a skating rabbit hole because I was really into it when I was younger, and then I kind of oh, fell, cool. fell out of it. Was always playing Tony Hawk's, and then they reissued the games. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was deep diving onto that again, and I've been like following Tony Hawk for ages. And then my nephew's okay. turning five in August. And um, he wants a skateboard for his birthday. So I was like, I'll, I'll get him that. And then I was looking at the boards and I was like, I really want one because I live near like a shore. So it's like dead flat and all concrete. And I'm like, I'm 30 now. And if I break my wrist and play guitar, like that's the yes. thing that always like terrifies me now is like doing that. That's the thing. And that is super terrifying. I actually need to order some wrist guards so that I can like, 
number one, like have some more activities. Cause I think, I think skateboarding is healthy and then it's a way to unwind. It's not about, you know, art and mm. the competition I have with myself constantly. It's not about that, you know, for me. Um, but if I break my hands then I can't like do what I love and express myself. So um, yeah, I think wrist guards are next on the to-do list. No, it's funny. I just did like a photo sh shoot that I can't really talk about just yet because it, it comes out in the fall. Mm. Um, but it was a, um, my friend's friend, who's Tony Hawk's son, um, was on set. And, uh, and that was kind of cool because I, I, yeah, I grew up watching and playing Tony mm. Hawk's <laughs> games. And um, yeah, so that was fun. Yeah, that's so cool. With obviously, you can't talk about photo shoots, but that kind of leads into another thing I know about you is from like my perspective, you're probably one of the best dressed people in country music at the moment. Like, for me, it's like you and Charlie oh. are always like you know decked out, and it's one of those yeah. things. And I know you and your mum have made like clothing for you to wear on stage and stuff. What right was kind of your concept, or did you go into it? consciously being like you want to dress a certain way for on stage or things or did it kind of happen oh you know it, it was a slow progression I've God, it's funny I, I've worn like cowboy boots since I was a kid you know um and and really into like western just fashion and the vibe right the, mm. the cowboy culture and uh and I stumbled upon suits, you know, just like in my, my journey. Um, and, uh, I remember a friend giving, giving me like a Western suit to wear in Seattle because I, I just happened to be friends with a lot of like vintage collectors. And she's like, Hey, check this out. And I mm. put it on and I just felt like a million bucks. I felt powerful. And I felt like this is my vibe. It was cool. It was like a vintage gold, uh, I think probably a vintage lasso mm. suit and it was man that's like now i understand like the power suit vibe <laughs> i really did feel like that was my vibe and that it, it made me feel you know like i could get on stage and and really like have that presence i wanted and uh you know I, it's like it's one thing to write songs in my bedroom and, and it be, you know, a very solitary thing, right? Then to present the songs is a whole nother persona. Mm. That's not really, has never been supernatural. I've always been like more of a writer and more like reclusive, I guess is the word. That sounds super negative, just more like solitary, right? Mm. And, um, and then as I got into performing, it was like the fashion thing, it, it, performing was difficult, right? It's like... I just, it never felt like part of my personality, but when I got into fashion, I could totally, you know, when I got into these vintage suits and, and vintage Western wear, I, uh, that was part of the show. And that was fun for me. It's like, it wasn't just about me. It's like, Oh, check out this other art that other mm. people made, you know, fashion is an art. Yeah. So yeah, it's been, it's been really fun and really um, sort of like fashion has helped me build myself up and that confidence and whatnot that's such an amazing thing like i've always been a huge kiss fan and obviously they're yeah. kind of the most exaggerated version of that is like the makeup all the leather and the studs and stuff and like because i've been thinking and because i play on stage but what i wear yeah. 
off stage and on stage is pretty much interchangeable. It's just check shirts, jeans. And I've always kind of been thinking about how to present myself and obviously seeing you folks like Charlie Crockett present themselves in a way that that in of itself is a performance as well. And I was just watching a bluegrass documentary where Bill Monroe, like friends of Bill Monroe talk about how he wore suits because people he'd play for wouldn't wear suits because of just like their class. They wouldn't be able to like afford one or they wouldn't have any. And he always said it was like, he wasn't dressing up to show off that he could afford it. It was a way to respect the audience to be like, well, I'm dressing up for you because I want you to see me at my best. Exactly. Exactly. That that's also like, part of the show and is you know i do appreciate people spend their hard their hard-earned money to buy a ticket and come out and and they're spending their time with me and to see me play and sing and that's an honor so um i try and honor that by dressing up and looking sharp and it being you know it's like if you're on stage it's 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 kind of important to me at least as a front person ben can they can wear whatever they want you know but it, it, me being like, hey, come to the Jamie Wyatt show. I'm like, damn, I better dress up, right? Mm. And is there a particular like fashion accessory or fashion that you take pride in? Because like for me, I kind of just wear this, but I love my shoes. Like I always have like Doc Martens. I have like different like styles on the more different boots that like have just something extra to them. Is there a particular like fashion item that you really resonate with, like boots or bu- buckles or anything? Oh yeah, I've um. Well, I really like these boots that I've got that are actually a modern boot. You know, most of my stuff is, is a lot of it's been vintage or now I've gotten more into custom having, you know, designers sew stuff for me, which is great. Um, but uh, there's this boot that I wear. It's made in Los Angeles called Paul Kaufman or PS, PF Kaufman um, or PS Kaufman, excuse me. Paul's a friend and he's in downtown LA and he makes these incredible boots. They're like ankle boots and, uh, and they got like a chunky heel. They're kind of a seventies vibe, Mm. but almost like also like a little bit metal too. Like uh, they're really classic, but they're, they're also like kind of rock and roll. So Mm. they really feel like me, Um, which is, yeah, you know, that combination of country and rock and roll and, and, uh, and uh, even, I don't know, I have these white ones that remind me of like, man, if like, if Al Green were to like, you know, come to Nashville or something, like that's what it, they remind me of. So they're super rad. Um, I love Stetsons. I love Stetson cowboy hats. And I love, um, you know, there's a couple great custom hat makers that are, that are like independent artists make beautiful hats, but um, yeah, man. And oh, belt buckles are cool. I still gotta, I'm still working on building that collection. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't have a ton of belt bu- belt buckles, just boots and hats mainly. And then I have a couple suits that are like custom made that, that I pretty much alternate between, you know, I got like mm. a gold one. Uh, there's a woman named Sarah Gessner here in Nashville. She, her name's Jukebox Mama on the Instagram and whatnot. And she made my suits. Um, it's all gold one that I tried to mo- model off of, um, you know, uh, Elvis's nudie suit. I, I kind of use that as a, a inspiration and then i got this white one it's like my dwight yokum suit kind of mm. <laughs> so cool and are they like hard to transport when you're touring and stuff do they have like specific suit bags and things or and obviously rotating them you have to like clean them and things you don't want them just stinking up after a few days <laughs> that's true yeah i usually you know i, I put in wardrobe bags and and uh i'll try and press my shirts 
you know, the day of, um, but mostly what's rad about like the gold suit is like, it can't really like, it might get wrinkled in the bag. Once you put it on the wrinkles, just like knock out. <laughs> it's totally fine. And that's also why I love like polyester. I have some polyester suits or gabardine, right? Cause you don't even have to worry about that. Cause being on tours, there's so little time and mm. it's sort of, you know, kind of demanding. Um, but uh, I'm sure as things get moving, then I can have, uh, as things progress in my career, then I can have somebody handling wardrobe. But <laughs> I've certainly had tour managers pressing my shirt before. I'd be like, hey, I'm super, business word like short on time. Could you help me with this? You know. <laughs> no, that's awesome. You definitely want to hit that kind of like Dolly phase where she's got just like a whole area like closed off. That's just costumes yes. and clothes. Right. That would be cool. <laughs> and with, the pandemic and things obviously everyone's kind of had to take a step back and stuff I, I read somewhere that you've enjoyed like gardening and stuff during yeah lockdown stuff is that something you just kind of been like focusing on with this downtime yeah I found it really like uh, what do I think it's really funny to say this but yeah gardening is really grounding because and like something about being in the dirt makes me feel part of the of nature you know mm. and I can't explain it but like my whole body relaxes when I'm like, like weeding, you know, you know, like, like just checking out the plants, watering the plants every day. Um, and, uh, thinking about like what else I want to plant or, you know, later, you know what I really got to do is I got to prune these tomatoes and I've never done that, but <laughs> I don't know. Are you a gardener? Yeah, I am. I moved in with my partner a few years ago and the, the garden was completely totaled. So last year during like, the main lockdown i like yeah. ripped everything out and rebuilt the whole garden with like railway sleepers and fake grass right. but then when i was a kid my nan and granddad always grew vegetables and things so in my head yeah. i was whenever i have my own house i want to grow stuff so i have at the back now i have a potato planter parsnips red onions and then like spring onions and stuff around we've got a tree with like pollinators for bees and stuff around the side I did have tomatoes last year and I forgot to prune them and they just, it turned into an absolute mess. So I suggest. Yeah, they just, they get massive, right? I mean, but then they'll bear more tomatoes if you prune them, I think. Is that the premise? Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. That's cool. I grew up with, my mom had a great garden growing up and we had like horses. And so, so, you know, the manure was really great for the um, soil. And um, it's so funny. I had to like, I remember, you know, last year, right, pandemic. So that's when I got into the gardening, made a massive garden. And then I had a friend who has a farm outside of Nashville and had, they had compost because they have a ton of horses, which is fantastic because everywhere else, I couldn't believe that, you know, compost costs money. Mm. Right. And I always had, we always had horses. So I was like, God, I forgot how valuable that (laughs) stuff was, you know? um so anyways i i got some amazing soil last year the the bounty was was just massive tons of tomatoes and squash and zucchini and um uh there's a little cucumbers some peppers um kale and that plant is still like that kale thing that's turned into like a kale tree almost that's so cool and it's it's it is a grounding thing and you have such like a pride from growing stuff like i call like my 
I was on the couch last night. My girlfriend was like, what are you laughing at? And I was like, I used to be cool. And now I'm messaging a guy <laughs> about a blueberry bush because he put up a picture of one. And I was like, oh, are they hard to maintain? And I was like, I remember I used to talk about cool shit, not just like yeah. bushes and things. Oh my God, right? Exactly. I, I, I used to be cutting edge. And, and now it's like... <laughs> You know, I'm pretty excited about like, oh, yeah, okay. As soon as the sun, you know, starts to get cooler, then I can get out there and like weed whack. And like, <laughs> you know, um, I have a chainsaw and that's really, really fun. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine when I was um, cutting the railway sleeves, I had a circular saw. And again, like, I don't know if it's because you're a guitarist as well. The first thing I think about is just like my fingers going under it. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure it doesn't stop me but yeah i yeah, think yeah. about it yeah and with obviously the downtime so i saw you were doing songwriting and guitar lessons like oh yeah how did that go did you get many people like taking you up on those offers and things yeah yeah i really did and i had some consistent students and it was really amazing i um had a ball it was really inspiring. And it was, you know, also life-saving in that way too, to still have a connection um, with people and exchange energy that way, even through Zoom was really helpful to just talk about music, talk about songwriting. Yeah. It went really well, actually. I was surprised. Yeah. Cool. Was there anything, I'm not going to try and steal a free lesson from you now, but was there anything yeah. that you kind of, had as you know if someone first came in touch with you like there was like five points that you were thinking of like what to kind of assess or look at first mm, yeah I always like okay as far as songwriting goes this is just my approach and what I value is I think no matter what the song should follow the melody mm. and that the melody should have you know tension and release and that you know before even before the lyrics really but that's just my thing a lot of people you know can write i i kind of doubt i die i doubt like guy clark and towns van zant were you know thinking about that so much um but i'm just kind of like one of those that i, I want the melody to be really pleasing and for it to go in a place where like the average listeners, like number one, I guess those are called hooks, right? Mm. So each section has a, I believe that every section should have a really memorable hook. And then those hooks should go together so that the, um, <laughs> very basically said, but it should never go too far left, right? Mm. Meaning that, um, you know, we don't want to like stray too far from that like basic feeling, which has that um, the initial melodic hook and it has a groove or whatever. Right. So I'm real big on that. And I often play the cross crossword puzzle, basically. It's, uh, it actually might originate for me. It might originate with the melody and a word mm. or a phrase. And then, um, you know, from there, it's, it's, it's thinking of other phrases and, and where does it want to move to, you know, mm. biggest thing, my biggest thing is like, some people think they've got a chorus 
And I'm like, I think that's good. I think that's actually the very, very tensiony part. And I think you've got another section that's coming mm. that is the chorus. Because I think a chorus is a little simpler than most people think. You know, I think like the pre, I almost always think the pre-chorus has the most tension. Mm. And, and often the pre-chorus looks like also resembles a bridge. Yeah. So those are just a <laughs> couple things that I could like ramble on about yeah. songwriting. But. You know, that's really interesting. I remember when Jason Isbell released the Nashville Sound, he was talking about for the Cumberland Gap, he had a whole chorus that was more complicated than what he ended up singing, which was just like the Cumberland Gap swallow you holly. And he was just like, well, I'll just repeat that. And that was a really interesting thing to think that the chorus needs to serve itself. It doesn't need to have that thing. Like, and it goes yeah. back to what you were saying. It's like, there's a tension to it and the chorus is the release to it. It's, but it's sometimes hard when someone's written something and they're like, this is the chorus. And it's like, it could be the pre-chorus though. And it's letting yeah. people let go of those ideals. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, it's really, I think it takes a lot of courage to be simple. And it's more so, you know, really half the time people don't hear the lyrics. The lyrics are really for the singer. Mm. And then for more in-depth listeners who are drawn in by a word or a phrase, and then they want to know what the rest of the lyrics are. Because mm. maybe, maybe once it's on the radio or once it's like you're playing live, all you really hear are like bits and pieces of the lyrics. And I, I feel like it's, you know, the lyrics are almost, I want to make sure that people can kind of understand them. And I'm usually planning for um, instances where like my test is always like, yeah, man, that's a really poetic line. Is that going to sing? Mm. Is it going to be like, is that going to convey? Like are people going to understand that's what I'm saying? Or would it be easier to say this phrase? And that's usually the test I'll have to listen back a lot to and, and listen and be like, okay, if there is an instant like that, I'm like, I really need that to be there then that's probably for me, mm. you know, and that's, so I'll sing with a little more emotion because I connect with those lyrics personally, mm. you know? Yeah. Is there a song that you've written with those kind of lyrics when maybe people haven't got it off the first battle when you've been playing it live, but it's something that you've really like resonated with. And that's been, even though, you know, people haven't been able to connect with it and you've been thinking, should I range? Has there been one way you've stuck with it and that's what it is? Yeah, you know, in the song Mercy that I put on Neon Cross, um, there's a lot of lyrics in there, I think, that probably don't come through on the recording and that now live I try to really enunciate them. But there's this line of like, so um, in a verse and it says, so I bled my horses and I laid down with a pharaoh. And I'm like, there's no way they're going to really hear that like that i laid down with a pharaoh they're probably gonna think it was like fair oak or 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 far or something like that mm -hmm. you know um but eventually they'll get it and they'll see that it, like to me it was really important because i was like it's really important that i like for me be a little bit more poetic mm -hmm. and um and a little more ethereal and, and and also that a lot of those verses i was kind of I was trying to go for some like biblical references. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know that that actually goes through, but it was for me that I say, um, speak about a Pharaoh. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really important thing. I think, and I remember 
kind of being bummed out when I found out like Kurt Cobain didn't put that much kind of thought into his lyrics. It was more about serving the melody and the song and the idea of what he wanted to do as opposed to, you know, necessarily like a John Prine song where it's like everywhere. It's like has its like place. And it's one of those things where it's like, where do you kind of bounce to and you not necessarily mm-hmm. have to stick to one songwriting camp, but it's, you have to save the song first. But I remember when it was like reading Kurt Cobain's journals and things. And it's like, oh, he was just kind of like, either making them up on the day or it was more about the feel as opposed to the meaning. Yeah. Yeah. And that can, that can totally be a bummer too. when we think, you know, like that it's way more poetic than it is, but at the same time, I think that the muse like this other entity or, or, you know, when people are creative, I think they're connecting to like a higher, you know, a spiritual mm. part of themselves. And all, cause all it is is just being quiet and, and non-judgmental. And I think that even still the muse is deeper than we are. Right. right? So I think that even if Kurt Cobain was just like, Oh, I was just blah, blah, blah. He's just selling himself short. There was mm. really, there's moments where you're just, you're quiet enough is almost quiet enough. And you're almost like in a meditative state where you, you are just like speaking it's your subconscious speaking. And in a lot of ways I have written things that were ended up being like foreshadowing of my life. And Mm. I didn't even know what I was writing about until later. And mm-hmm. I, I found that out. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like that's why I really believe in the the spirit of of songwriting and and art is that I I think that it's connecting with something greater than myself. Mm. No, definitely. I always kind of like I'm not Buddhist, but I really love like their type of teaching. And there's one thing where it says like something can't come from nothing, and nothing can't come from something. I always think with like songwriting creativity, like you aren't pulling it out of nothing it's always coming from something and that's some parts yourself, some yeah. parts a higher power or an ether that is yeah. then all kind of mixing together. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or exactly, exactly. I mean, that's why I speak of like the higher self is, is that actually that's directly from like, you know, whatever I've read about Buddhism and, and not to say that I'm a practicing Buddhist or anything. I'm, <laughs> I'm not that disciplined. Right. I just can like, meditate with an app every day but it's enough for me (laughs) to get connected and um you know and music in itself is is a meditation it's it's you know hypnotic right and uh and honestly i have tried to you know whatever i think a song is about uh, is about that's just for me Mm. And for someone else, it's really important sometimes that I make things a little more general so that someone has an opportunity to embrace their own meaning, which is cathartic for them mm. and therefore healing in some way. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's what you do really well as a songwriter is you have yeah. these autobiographical approaches, but they have not necessarily like a specific term or a specific setting that then other people can kind of latch onto, which is a really important thing as a songwriter that maybe like when people try and go specific, it kind of loses the hook of it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really glad that, that that's coming through. Um, Cause I often have to edit myself a lot 
and I'd be like, man, I just, how specific do I want to be here? And, and I could be so specific, but then it's like, that's, then I rob people of, an, of a, a moment mm. that it's for me as a young person, I, I heard songs that probably helped me through life and helped me figure out certain things and helped me like cope. Mm with where I was and, and, you know, the human condition. And, um, and because I was given that gift, I've got to give it back. Mm. That's such an amazing way to point it. Are there any bands or songs that kind of stick out from you that like guided through? Cause like my go-to is always like Linkin Park. Cause I was just obsessed uh-huh. with them when I was young. That was the first album I ever bought. But is there anyone that kind of sticks out to your mind? Like if you listen to their songs now, it takes you like right back or it's just remember, like reminds you of that, those times. I, you know, you brought up Nirvana. So I've been thinking of it since, um, I'm trying to think if there's a specific, um, I mean, yeah, Nirvana was big. Um, for me growing up because uh, there was so much like angst in there. Right. Mm. And there was a lot of like depression and I think it spoke to, <laughs> it spoke to my own um, depression and confusion. And I'm trying to think if there was, I mean, all apologies mm. um, or like, I don't know. There was that one. I'm on a plane. I can't, I can't complain. That sounds like nonsense, but it's just like, you know, maybe that's talking about like being less connected and feeling apart from, Mm. you know? Um, And, uh, and I definitely felt that way. So yeah, there's, there's so many acts. I grew up in the, in Washington state. So I did have like that huge grunge influence. And then I had Mm. the nineties country and then um, also British bands and rock and roll bands like the Rolling Stones, um, as simple as you can't always get what you want, but yeah. you get what you need. I know it's so cliche, but it's so true. And it's oftentimes like what I need to hear mm. um, are just simple messages. Um, and then, you know, of course, I love Lucinda Williams and I love Steve Earle. Um, you know, Steve Earle is a great lyricist. Um, I think there was a time when I started going on the road with my band where I had a, a four pack habit and a, and a motel tan, you know, as he said in that song, Guitar Town. Um, or yeah, I grew up on a gravel road and Lucinda Williams was singing about car wheels on a gravel road mm. and the screen door slamming. And we had a screen door and it was just like, you know, those little, little details that are so beautiful about mm. life yeah no that's like such an amazing thing like um, i've just been starting to get more like tattoos and i've just got a john prine tattoo Mm -hmm. which is just a tv on fire because i wanted to get yeah um, blow up your tv yeah because i wanted to get a load of music tattoos but i didn't want to just get lyrics so i was trying to think of how i can get like pictures to represent them so like the next one i want is like one of those old school diving helmets with a halo for like holy diver and shit like that i've just been trying oh nice yeah (laughs) i have a that's awesome dude and I totally love that approach instead of, cause otherwise I would just end up with a whole bunch of phrases all over yeah. my arms. Right. So I've got, I had one, this was like a drunken tattoo, but one of the few drunken tattoos I'm, I'm okay with is the, um, uh, cow, 
it was a cowboy hat with a halo. So it's a cowboy um, angel. And it was Graham Parsons reference out with the mm. truckers and the kickers and the cowboy angels. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm definitely into that. I love, I love the, just showing the lyric, showing the phrase um, instead of just having a written phrase. Yeah. Like I, I, I want the holy diver one and I'm going to get a set of lungs next for like Towns Van Zandt. And I just want to try and get like things like, cause, I'm, cause I've got a sleeve of like guitars and stuff. So I just want to get like little fillers that like match stuff. Yes, that's awesome. And I love Towns Van Zamp, by the way. That's a that's a yeah. really important songwriter right there. Yeah, he's like one of the gold standards, I think, of like him, Guy Clark, John Bryan, Chris Christopherson, and four of my like favorite mm. songwriters. Chris Christopherson. He was on the Outlaw Cruise when I played the year before last. And that was or was that last year? That was last year. Mm. Before right before the pandemic. Um literally days before they just like yeah. shut down the everything i was on the outlaw country cruise and chris christopherson was there and um and we went to like we got off in jamaica and went to johnny cash's house oh, really? and uh with like carlin carter and chris christopherson was singing in in the living room it was pretty surreal uh, uh, that guy wrote some incredible songs mm. and uh some of the best and uh even like that right loving her was easier than anything i'd ever done before yeah so simple and just so heartfelt mm. yeah no like he's my favorite guy i saw him just before he retired last year i saw him in manchester on his last uk run and wow. it was just like i knew i had to go see him because i, I like he, he's old and i was like how yes. much how much longer is he going to be doing it for but it was still just phenomenal. And he had uh, Scott Joss on fiddle. And I think he had some of Mel Haggard's backing band with him yes. as well, which was just a yeah. phenomenal thing. Oh, and it, so then it's like a double whammy too, because then you're getting like another part of history too with the Merle Haggard's backing band. Yeah, <laughs> and they crazy. did a few Mel songs, I think, as well, which was amazing. Mm, yeah. I love Merle. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. But kind of with that history of country music and I, like, I can't even imagine being in Johnny Cash's house with Christophs and like, that just sounds absolutely crazy. But with yeah. that kind of music and stuff, you've been doing some DJ sets of that Gimme Country um, radio yeah. show. What's kind of been your approach to DJing and like making kind of playlists and finding new music for when you've been doing those shows? Yeah, you know, um, some of my friends that turned me on to some great, like, sort of deeper cuts. Um, I would do, like, I would read, you know, read about certain artists that, I, like, okay, over the pandemic, I got obsessed with Tammy Wynette. And just mm. over the last few years, I was kind of like, God, is Tammy Wynette, like, was she, like, the best country singer back then? And I started to think that to myself. As far as just emotional vocal deliveries. As far as vibe, it's like Waylon. Mm. And, and for a male voice, it's probably just, it's probably Merle, straight, like straight up, right? Um, but anyway, so I read this bio on, uh, on Tammy Wynette and started kind of like just thinking, listening to more of her albums and just cruising around. I love just driving around and listening to music. And, uh, and then I did this special for Merle's birthday and, um, 
And then I started to think about, I love it when other artists would cover the hits. Mm. So like Waylon did this incredible version of Today I Started Loving You Again. And that was the coolest because Merle had this incredible voice, but Waylon had feel and vibe that Mm. would recreate songs in these super cool ways. So um, yeah, so I did a lot of those, like try and find um, deeper cuts that way um and mostly you know i'd start with like the hits i love the hits i think most (laughs) they're a hit for a reason yeah and uh you know especially like start with the playlist like real you know exciting and something up tempo um and then i love classic love songs and i would look for like uh kind of classic feels and then I would go to some deeper cuts and then I would go I'd try to like bring new artists or mm. modern Americana artists in but then go back to classic and so I just introduced some just like introduce newer singers mm. um in between a bunch of classics so that it would still like you know so people could still be like nostalgic and and um they'd stay on the show as a result. They'd stay listening, right? It's almost like uh, back in the day when I used to play bars, you know, we'd do a ton of covers and then put in original songs because, you know, then you would keep the audience happy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's so cool. I'm actually, I'm going to be doing a listener's show for Gimme Country on the 24th. So I'm, I'm recording my stuff this week to send over to them with a playlist because i do a little radio show over here in the uk trying to like platform like uk country artists as well as international acts and stuff nice. so i knew i'd be talking to you beforehand and obviously with the shows so i definitely wanted to pick your brain about that kind of thing but with country radio does anything stand out for you that's been impactful when you've been listening to the radio because i know there's a huge divide in the states about country radio and what it is and what it isn't has there ever been like influential moments when you've been listening to radio that's kind of kind of stuck with you well i've been listening to the country radio here in america yeah i mean no not (laughs) (laughs) no not pop country radio but um back in the day like back when i was a kid yes like trisha yearwood and the judds and garth brooks were Mm. on the air on the radio so that was really important for me as a, as someone that loved country music that I got exposed to that era. Um, and then there are like Americana radio stations that have turned me on to, to new music that I've just, you know, it's totally blown my mind. Um, and I wish I could give an, a good example lately, but I can't um, as of late, but uh yeah it's weird man it's it's you know maybe outlaw country on sirius xm Mm. or or like some of the smaller americana stations but not pop country radio anymore yeah no it's a weird one with kind of radio and how like everything's kind of been democratized since the internet so it's yes it's still weird to me especially from a foreigner's point of view looking at american radio where people are still kind of relying on them for things because a lot of what like i don't have a tv that has you know channels for for the uk like it's all netflix streaming youtube stuff like that where it's like you go and look for specific things so it's still interesting to me that people rely on something so big and mainstream to 
you know, get their music and also f- try and like think they're f- going to find new things. And there's such a wealth of stuff, just not even like deep under the surface. It's literally, if you yeah. looked there, you'd realize. Yeah. Oh man. It's crazy to me to think that like Tyler Childers and, and Sturgill Simpson are not on the radio. Yeah. I, I just like, it's crazy to me, but um you know, that's where like streaming has been positive. It, it doesn't pay the artist much, but it's been instrumental in discovery. Just those algorithms when you're listening and actually shoot, I've found a lot of things on um, to put on my Gimme Country radio show from just listening to Spotify and, and something coming up afterwards, mm. like when I'm not paying attention, like when my playlist runs out or whatever, right? then something will come up and I just go, Whoa, what is that? You know, that's, am- yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. It's both awesome and terrifying that Spotify algorithms know you that well, that you can think of something <laughs> yeah, random. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But with the rise of streaming and stuff, do you think your career and your music's benefited from this kind of democratization of the internet where it's not necessarily a level playing field, but you can find those niches and those audiences without mainstream support and without that kind of backing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been really helpful. I know I, I got a lot of followers who found my music directly through the algorithm on Spotify, you know, Mm. so it's been huge, um, really helpful in that way. Oh, awesome. And with, Neon Cross, are you writing a follow-up at the moment or are you working on any new music now or is it planning on just going back to touring? Well, I've got to go back to touring, but in between, um, I have been writing and I'm working on uh, new music for the next record and I've got like a handful of songs and now I just got to give them better demos (laughs) and then I'll figure out. I'm trying trying to think about once that collection gets sort of a theme, I'm already considering where to cut the next record mm. and thinking about that. And, and hopefully these songs will guide the decision or maybe it's the vibe in the studio or yeah. meeting with different producers and being like, is this inspiring? Maybe, maybe that's what will happen. But also going out on the road is a part of my process. So I go out um, in August and I start in, in Texas and then, and I do, Colorado and I think it'll be really good because I get really inspired after a show too to see like how people reacted and what grooves and and what they responded to what were they singing to the most Mm -hmm. what was the most emotionally connective and um, gratifying so Mm -hmm. that'll influence and I'll probably get more songs going after you know sharing the live performance and the live experience with an mm. audience. And is that with a band as well? Yeah, with a band. Yeah. Mm. So right. with the new songs, do you take them and rehearse them first with the band and then kind of get into a groove or do they kind of evolve live with new licks or rhythms and hooks as they, the tour goes on? You know, the, the feel doesn't change too much. There's a couple songs that I found the grooves are harder to maintain live or they don't hit as well live as Mm. they do on the record and so we've you know already kind of begun to to 
adjust those sometimes tempo sometimes like some songs i'll slow down some song some songs i'll speed up um at the usually the the hook stays the same i notice <laughs> i'm the one with the most freedom right uh so i can i'll adapt certain melodies for sure mm. yeah they do they they grow the songs grow when uh played with a band and and uh It'll be interesting to see too, how much they grow beyond where, you know, how far do they go? Mm. No, it's awesome. And with Neon Cross, you, like I read that you sent Shooter, your producer at the time, like the demos for the songs and he kind of not necessarily picked the songs, but said that one's really strong or whichever. Mm -hmm. Are you kind of doing that same process for the next album? Mm, Yeah, I haven't, I, I don't have, I'm not bouncing them off anyone yet um so that'll be interesting how the next producer approaches the the song collection but i know i listen back and i'm like you know i'm still editing like a ton i listen back and i'm like okay and then i'm just thinking about it all the time and i'm like um do i just go back to the original idea on the that melody i got less words there more words here <laughs> you know are are those is that story working um so it's all me myself i'll be editing these new songs for for like a while mm. um but yeah no i can't wait to get back in the studio again it's just weird and different to not tour a ton before making the next record but um you know i'm hoping to be in the studio over the winter working on a new record because you released neon cross in may in the states and then august in the uk so you did you get to tour that album much obviously you toured it before the release with the new songs but you didn't really get to tour neon cross as a whole did you as a tour yeah no 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 not as a tour but i have played sort of spotty dates you know um i played like a festival in florida and i played um i'm playing this weekend in kentucky um and and yeah just like a a few shows you know and i did some live streams last year Mm. um but it's it's different you know and i did some like limited capacity shows um in january and february and and that was cool um but yeah not not the same as being on tour and playing like night after night yeah yeah, did you think about delaying the album release last year or was it just kind of the wheels were already turning to make it go? Yeah, you know, I totally, I did want to push the release and it just wasn't possible. And and I, I don't know, like, uh, I still think it was the best, probably the best thing, even though it really, like, it really, it got out there, the album and people found it, but there's a lot of people that didn't find it yet. Mm. So it, it's... I don't know, man. It's, it's interesting. I, I think that this next record will have to lead some people to neon cross mm. in a way. So yeah, I did want to push it and it was because it also, it came out and then, you know, in America we had like George Floyd's death was publicized mm. that week that my album came out and it was just a really important time to be yeah. um, listening to the message that was going on that was in the movement so it wasn't as much about me promoting myself yeah 
And uh, I do believe that everything's meant to be and there are no mistakes in this universe. So I, I think that it's just like, if anything, just like caused me to go back and work on my voice and work on myself as a person. And, uh, and I'll be that much stronger when I, you know, hit the road and don't stop touring for the next 10 years or something. Yeah. No, I think that was like a really important thing. Like it's obviously a time to listen and pay attention to what's going on around you. And the last thing you want to do is to try and turn any like spotlight onto yourself, but with neon cross, like I always kind of think about with any album it has, at least in press and stuff, they're always like, it's got a three month shelf life of things, but that's for press and reviews. Like, someone in 20 years could find neon cross and albums have such like a longevity to them, especially when you press them on vinyl, like you did with yours, where yeah. it's got unlimited potential to be discovered, which I think is one of the beautiful things about music and film and art that it may have, you know, three months in the zeitgeist immediately, but it can just permeate through time for however long until the world bands up or the last record player exists. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, I'm really proud of Neon Cross. I'm really proud of the the songs that I wrote. And it, you know, yeah, I, it, I'm just, uh, it put me on a good path for yeah. writing for like maybe the rest of my life. You know, I've found, I've tapped into a vein. Yeah. No, like I'm a huge fan of Neon Cross. I'm a huge fan of Felony Blues, but Neon Cross to me was one of those albums that was just like a game changer. It was just like, this is, you know, front to back, a brilliant album. Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) It's awesome. Thank you. You did the album. It's it's like No Hyperbolia is a brilliant record. With coming over to the uk i read so your first uk tour was 2018 and then you did like a festival date in 2019 were they the only times you've kind of visited the uk yeah mostly um mostly i i think i've done so i did that tour with charlie crockett and then before that i did like a a tour by myself I think I was just headlining the tour before, but the last time I was in UK was with Charlie Crockett and that was super fun. Mm. Um, uh, but I, my plan is to get over to UK even more often. I'm, I'm in the process of booking a date in Norway. And so I'm like, well, I'll be in the neighborhood, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so I'd love to get to the UK. I love England so much. And um, it's just like, talk about fashion there's great fashion in in england and um great tea and great people i love the rain uh it's pretty dreamy for me with kind of growing up in washington i know that's the kind of pacific yeah. northwest is that a similar kind of climate to the uk would you reckon that's what resonated with it i think so yeah it was that um i just think growing up in washington yeah it's a very similar climate um a lot of, you know, a majority of the year in Washington, the weather is, you know, um, there's a gray cloud cover and it's a constant drizzle. And that just like forced me to be more dreamy and, you know, write poetry and play guitar and read books mm. and uh, 
and just daydream. <laughs> I think that England has such great music and art as a result and great writers as a result of that climate, you know? No, that's a really interesting way to kind of, it's a poetic way to say English people were stuck inside because of the rain and had to take their <laughs> <Yeah>. own fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But if there's something, I mean, there are benefits to every, every situation. Um, and, and I think that probably true Englanders that will go outside no matter what, you know, rain doesn't stop y'all, but um yeah, for me, I was like really grateful to grow up in the rain. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I know I'm not built for sun in any way. We've had like insane, like <laughs> hot weather here late, lately, and it's just been an absolute nightmare for me. Again, oh, yeah. I, I just kind of looking at it. it's doing the garden good, but I hate this. Yeah, right. I know. I was like, well, I don't have to water the garden, which is so wonderful. But I, um, I feel the same way. Like, I'm, I'm mostly Irish, and and some English. So I always joke when it's really, really hot, I'm just like, my people weren't made for this. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get a sunburn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I go off like two yeah. minutes and immediately ban. It's horrible. Yeah. A sunburn <laughs> by the window. <laughs> yeah. Like so. with, I was reading as well. I was like, for prep of this, you were, were you working on a mini documentary as well? And throughout this or have you been working on one of those for and a while it's ongoing i'd started i'd started uh um basically wrote the treatment and started talking to people and directors it got too complicated with covid mm. um but i would like to continue on with this this um mini documentary about uh different like each episode would be um a different topic each time you know, one's about uh, women in the industry and um, and another would be about, you know, like LGBTQ people in 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 music and um, and also a big one, you know, mental health, mm. I think is is becoming more of a widely talked about issue. Um, and that's one that pertains to me and being in recovery and always trying to, you know, keep my head together and mm. uh stay grateful and stay connected and um connect with others uh i, I, I no longer connect over a pint right mm. you know yeah. <laughs> it, it really that's why I, I love tea and coffee now but but more than that like it's just about sharing space with others right mm. um so yeah but i'm really passionate about the mental health stuff it's it's just like it's becoming a conversation to continue especially i think mental health was um detrimental during um covid it it uh you know the pandemic uh, really pushed a lot of people to the edge yeah. in some way yeah yeah i think it's really important what you're doing is bringing those topics to it and i think in a silver lining way i know the pandemic it did push a lot of people to the edge but then it was a lot of people turned around and went none of this is okay and it's led to a lot more conversations i think if there is a positive or a silver line into those things it's a lot of people knew what their limits were then and a lot more people were fe like feeling freer to admit that they weren't okay and the situation wasn't all right yeah yeah exactly and and just talking about it more and more right we used to um i think as humans generations before ours 
um, you know, even my mom's generation, you know, they're fine, right? You ask them, mm. they're always fine. I'm fine. Yeah. You know, you just don't talk about it. You, you handle your business um, at home and, and you go out in public and you're great. They're always doing great when people ask. And you know what I mean? And it's just like, that's not possible, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're talking about generations that like dealt with war. Yeah and oh my like, gosh right. insane things and they're like yeah it's fine and you're like no it's not because i've been watching yeah. him bo burnham the comedian released that thing uh, inside which is a he shot a special completely in one room of his house which is a really, really? it's a really interesting um special if you've not seen it and it's all music and like spoken word kind of stuff but it really examines kind of his self-awareness and his mental health as he's going through it because he records mm-hmm. it like he starts off freshly shaven and haircuts and then at the end of it he's just yeah. disheveled but in one song <laughs> he's singing about 10 and 30 and um, one of the lines is when my granddad was 27 he fought in vietnam when i was 27 i be- built a birdhouse with my mom and i was like that's and he kind of viewed it as a negative thing of what that generation did compared to what his generation has well, I kind yeah. of was thinking about it today and I was like, that's a really lucky thing that when we're 27, we get to do those things with our mom and not have yeah. to be in such an awful condition. And it's that kind of perspective shift for me where it was like, it's okay where we're at now and it's okay to talk about those things that we didn't get to talk about necessarily if we were born 50 years prior. Yeah, absolutely. And and I did see, of all things, I saw um, something on social media that, that rang really true to me. And it was talking about, okay, so is our generation, are we just weak and sensitive? Are we, we highly sensitive? Um, and this person or personality was, was um, on the internet was arguing that we're not more sensitive or weaker it's that there's this idea of generational trauma that i believe to be true and that it builds up and it's passed on to the next generation whatever wasn't dealt with or was Mm -hmm. dealt with destructively and taken out on others it's, it's passed on and even just subconsciously passed on to the next generation so if you think about it it's like we've inherited all this other trauma that's and and uh, you know un, undealt with things, unexpressed grief. We've we've inherited that, so we've got that in us. In addition to whatever our current situation mm-hmm. is now, and now with so much ability to share information, it's almost like like the fact that you can get your email on your phone your boss is going to be like, why haven't you returned that email yet? You know? Yeah. You can access it at any point. It doesn't matter that you're, you're off. Like it's, you know, if you're doing project based work or, you know, so we're all kind of workaholics now and, and uh, this constant flow of information and communication, um, this constant pressure of, of looking and keeping up with the Joneses on, by yeah. watching the internet all the time, it's, there's more pressure now. So it's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't fight in the war, but I'm pretty sure my my grandfather didn't do therapy after that, yeah. after he did, you know. So I don't know. It's just interesting to think about. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
if, yeah. especially if you think in like the terms of history, like I like my nan remembers seeing her dad get blown through a door because where we lived was close to the docks and that was where we got bombed. So it's like she has wow. that memory, which is a trauma. And it's yes. just like, she doesn't talk about it. And obviously a lot of people would have dealt with that, but that was only 90 years ago. We still have people from that time. So it's yes. in that hit, like it's only a short period of time that we've been dealing with it. And it's only really in the fi- last five or six years where those open conversations have really taken place. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting. And, um, and when anybody, you know, I always have to remember too, it's like when, you know, if somebody's trying to, to judge the younger generation, it's only because of lack of understanding yeah. and, and that the older generations had to, they were just constantly in survival mode and we just have a choice now. Mm. Do we want to be in survival mode or, or do we want to do more than merely survive we want to train our bodies to get out of survival mode and get into like living and being in the moment and, you know, and meditating um, and, or whatever, just mindfulness, um, awareness. It's, there's a lot, there's, there's a choice now and older generations didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's right. It's just, it's crazy. And I think you can see sometimes, not from like everyone, but there is a resentment at like us having a choice now. Like I see a lot of people complaining about like, well, why should we cancel student debt now? Cause I didn't get mine canceled. And it's like, well, mm. it sucks, but why do it doesn't mean we should shit on the next generation for it. Oh my gosh. Right. You know, I don't want, and, and it, it, that is hard, especially money. Money is so hard. I think it's a source of, so much stress and resentment but you know it's kind of like i would uh what i've learned through you know what i've learned like where even religions are correct right um and i'm not religious but it's just you know even yeah do unto others as as you would do unto yourself but i i would i don't want people to suffer as much as as i have right I know I want this world to evolve and get better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. If someone has the opportunity to heal more than me, I'm going to say absolutely. But I, I get it with money though. Money, that's a hard one to let go of. Yeah. Especially like I've seen all those kind of tweets about like all these billionaires are retreating to space. Like they know something's going to happen and it's like they could <laughs> just, you know, fix pretty much everything in the world if they just donated 10% or some shit but it's one of those things where it's if you've acquired that much money you're a psychopath anyway so they aren't gonna help yeah and then there's the then there's the argument of like well they work for it so why should uh they have to give it away or why do you have to share it you know there's this this you know your rights your rights and freedom at all costs and all that stuff but it's uh that's so funny. Yeah, I was, I was, I was watching some show this morning about that, um, you know, billionaires going to space and whatnot. And that's all great and good, but how about like childhood cancer, you yeah. know? Yeah. Cause... That was a big thing this week. Cause um, Richard Branson, the guy who owns Virgin, he was complaining last year. how he wanted like a government bailout during the pandemic. And then oh, really? this year he's like, we're going to space. And it's like, how <laughs> fucking dare you? 
It'd yeah. be like your mate asking to borrow a tenner and then showing up the next day, they just decked out in like the newest like Air Jordans or some shit. And you're like, I thought you, I thought you were <laughs> yeah. broke, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, that's a good analogy, man. That's that's right on. Seriously, or how about like Kanye West, like taking um getting one of those small business loans? Like what? <laughs> Not a loan, a grant. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, I know it. I know it's crazy it's but sense of humor has because there's a lot of things to be really pissed off about yeah. there's a lot i have to laugh about it i have to acknowledge that yeah that stuff bothers me sometimes i just have to laugh about it because yeah. it's ridiculous it's so it's so unjust it's so wrong in so many levels i'm happy that i'm not that person that is that uh that self-obsessed mm. and self-concerned so yeah no definitely i think that's where kind of i don't know if it's just because i'm a songwriter but it's like when you have that perspective of kind of looking into things it helps you kind of appreciate the smaller stuff and it helps you kind of turn your focus away because you could dwell on the big horrible elephant in the room but you're like but if we focus just over here and we write a song about it we can you know, turn that into an experience that other people can share and other people can relate to, and it might just make yeah. everything else a bit more manageable. Yeah, exactly. That's that's such a gift with songwriting. Um, I also like. I'm so grateful that I learned about songwriting from a young age. I, you know, it's it's given me the will to live through through difficult things, and because um, it's just such a great tool and. I think that, you know, in the same way, like com comedians or comics are so great about talking about serious things mm -hmm. and making it relatable and just biting off, you know, there's so much going on in the world, you know, biting off those little, like you said, just take that one little thing and talk about it and, and, uh, you know, taking the world in small bits mm. is manageable, yeah. but looking at the whole picture you just drive yourself everything once. Yeah, it's overwhelming otherwise, right? Yeah. 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 No, definitely. But, you know, we've hit past the hour mark and I don't want to keep you too much longer. So you've got a tour planned for August, a new album, and hopefully some UK shows, UK shows soon because I haven't seen you live yet. And that's one of my oh, favorite yeah. regrets. Because like, obviously I was doing some research and guys, I saw you came over in 2018. You played Manchester, which is like an hour away from me. And oh, I was man. just like, fuck. Because I, I was talking to someone the other day because Nick Shoulders is coming over to the UK in, awesome. in November. Yeah, in November. And I was just like, make sure you get your tickets because you don't want to be kicking yourself about not going. Because like, I remember I saw a sign for Margaret Price playing a coffee shop in Liverpool when I was in like uni like wow. eight years ago. And I was like, who's that? Ah, well, I carried on my day. And I like that yeah. I realized who the fuck Margaret Price was. I was like, God damn it. Are there any shows like that you kind of remember or anyone that you've missed out on that you were like, fuck, who's that? And then you realize like a few years later or even a month <laughs> later. <laughs> oh man. I mean, probably so many. I I know there are there are like there's artists that I had that I did see. Um you know, and I, that I look back and I'm like, man, I saw them in such a small club. And I, I'd see like, I saw like Drive By Truckers when Jason Isbell was in the band and mm. at, at like small clubs, you know, and that was so loud and so rad. 
Um, but yeah, man, I'll, I'll be coming over to England as soon as, as soon as possible, 2022. Um, and, uh, and, and I am going on tour next month, August. Um, I'll be playing with Nick Shoulders in Denver. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then and in September, I've got dates. November, I've got dates. They're all U.S. right now. Um, but only because the business just kickstarted yeah. back up. So I'm really excited for booking in, in Europe. Like I said, I'm booking in Norway. So England is next to handle. Amazing. Well, we can't wait to have you. I'll hit stop there if that's good with you yeah man it's been my pleasure it's really fun to talk to you and there we have it folks that's episode 37 of into the van into the bag please go check out jamie wyatt's music she is phenomenal neon cross is one of my favorite records that came out a while ago and i still play it it's one of my favorite modern country records and i really think you'll dig it if you've not listened to it so far please keep supporting the podcast if you've enjoyed this please go leave a review wherever it is you're listening to it i know that does really help things and yeah just keep on supporting the things you love guys till next time peace